This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast. You'll be glad to know it's not sponsored by any controversial drinks brand. Um, and with me, Dan Morgan, I've got Guy Clark, uh, Kai Delaney and James Martin. And we are going to have a look at Jürgen Klopp's summer, uh, what he needs to do, what he's already done uh, and what will still be on his tick list whilst on holiday uh, in a lovely Spanish uh, part of the world, which I'm not sure I should name uh, for reasons being uh, alluding to his privacy and the fact that he just needs a nice holiday away from people. But uh, on with the show. And um, Kai, I'll start with you. I mean, look, we have to look at the summer in general uh, already being underway, I think. But within that, any kind of international tournament usually creates a bit of a lag, doesn't it, with things happening around clubs. There's there's none more so uh, in terms of that context right now than the managerial situation across the Premier League, I'd say. You know, Spurs and Everton seem to be biding the time um, and not sorting out the main thing that is going to basically define how they do next season, which is the manager. But... A lot of it in terms of managers, in terms of transfers, in terms of managers knowing what they have to work with and when uh, is dependent on how far certain players go in these competitions. But for Liverpool, uh, we'll start with transferring. Um, and we know Ibrahim Kanate sorry, has already been done. But, I mean, given that we're already sort of mid-June now, what do you think the priorities will be for the club for the rest of the window? Yeah, I think um, you're right there. Generally, any summer tournament puts everything back at least a month, maybe even five, six weeks. But Liverpool did well to get Canate in, didn't they, before the tournament started? And yeah, that that was really the the one position that was obviously such uh, a problem for them last season. And they did well to to box that off and get that sorted. Obviously, paying the release clause from Leipzig and just getting that done and dusted before, um, yeah, well before. The tournaments had even got underway and he'll be, he'll be joining up July 7th, I believe, and he'll be there in plenty of time. So they've done really well to get that sorted so early. Um, and then, I mean, it's the, the kind of two obvious ones that everyone's spoken about is a midfielder to, to replace Wijnaldum and then potentially one more option for the forward line with uh, Salah and Mane. Uh, obviously, get off to the Africa Cup of Nations in January. So um, for me, I, I think it's, it's a midfield position. Um, with the AFCON, the fixtures have been quite kind to Liverpool. I think Salah and Mane are only going to miss potentially three games, is it, uh, when they're away, if, if they go all the way. So um, with, with Jota there, and it remains to be seen what happens with Shakiri and the rest of the forward players. But we, we may have enough to cover kind of three or four weeks in January. But I think for me that the big one is Wijnaldum. And I know we have the numbers there in terms of the squad, if you go through personnel, in Naby Keita, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Thiago, Henderson, Fabinho. There's lots of, of numbers, if you like. But I think the, the thing that I struggle to get past is the fact that one Aldum's played virtually every game for Liverpool last season. It's, it's his reliability, his, his availability, and, and also his, his versatility. He can, he can play a number of positions, as we've seen for Holland. You know, he's playing as a false nine in the most recent game. And Klopp, you famously did that away at Barcelona and then played centre-back at times. So I think having having someone that's as reliable as him and so consistent as well, you know you're always going to get a 7 out of 10 
Um, while we have got the numbers there, I think we need someone that can can come in and you know be, be an option and as as available and consistent as he was. Are the days that pass now, James, um, making it more ominous in terms of signing a Wijnaldum replacement? I mean, think about what we know now. We know that Liverpool were willing to let Gini Wijnaldum leave on a free because that inevitably happened. And you would imagine, one would imagine that that decision was made uh, quite a fair bit of time ago, uh, given the way in which Liverpool plan. So with that in mind, you would envisage that if they wanted to sign uh, Wijnaldum replacement in inverted commas, that has been touted, um, that transfer maybe would have emerged by now. I mean, there is an element of that, but equally, it's such a kind of obvious gap that seems to need filling. It's a case where the club aren't going to want to look hugely desperate because they'll just get shafted in terms of the prices being driven up. So, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily one where there's definitely not going to be a Wijnaldum replacement just because it wasn't one that was sorted out nice and quickly. Um, Whether the club are just sort of still talking to lots of different teams, lots of different potential options, and then seeing where they can get the best deal. I mean, we've seen it before when um, where, like when Simakas came in, for example, that he was seemingly one of the sort of lesser options below, I think it was Max Ahrens at Norwich. Uh, and it was just a case of leave both of them ticking over, see which one will sort of give in terms of where you can get the best price. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if there was a, a similar situation going on in terms of a Vinaldum replacement. Like Kai touched upon, it would be it would be a risky move to rely on the existing options, like in terms of the availability in particular. It would rely on Cater stepping up a lot, and obviously with that injury record, it's a big question mark to say the least. So, I like to think that even if it's not a first teamer, there's definitely going to be on the agenda some kind of extra body in midfield just to just to ensure that there's always reliable options there, um, particularly given what happened at centre-back with the injuries this season. So no, I wouldn't say that we're at any kind of point of alarm yet that there isn't going to be another midfielder coming in. But of course, as as the days go by, the, the question does pose itself with with more force, shall we say. Yeah, I do wonder, Guy, if, if there's an element of, uh, of negotiation at play and an elongated negotiation and... and what I mean by that is, you know, the, the the football landscape, as I alluded to before, does seem to be relaxed, quite relaxed. And the Euros will have a factor in that. But I just wonder whether, given what's happened over the past sort of 12 to 15 months, nobody really knows what general players are worth anymore, to be honest. There's no real bar. Um, and, it, and I wonder whether it, w- it will take something like a Harry Kane to Man City for £100 million to get the market moving and to get some sort of firm valuations in place. Yeah, definitely. I think we were speaking about it on on the, the Blood Red podcast on Monday and it's kind of Liverpool have these players who are all for sale, the likes of Gruwich, Wilson, Shakiri, Nico Williams, if you're adding him to that list now, and, and Nat Phillips. And it's all well and good putting 20, 15, 10 million pound price tags on these players, but the market's not moving. Other than Ibrahim Akanate, hardly anything's been done. My take on the the Vinaldum situation is one of two sort of options, I suppose. It's either Liverpool feel with Curtis Jones, with Naby Keita, with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who was available far more than perhaps 
we all sort of realise and remember last season. And the year before, he was the fourth top scorer behind sort of the, the front three players. So whether it's a case of Liverpool are genuinely happy with what they have in reserve and say, right, OK, we can keep our powder dry because there's been a lot of talk around Florian Neuhaus. He had a release clause that they watched come and go. So they're obviously not in that much of a sort of um, desperate panic to replace Genie Wijnaldum. Alternatively, as you say, Dan, it's a case of actually no one really knows where the market stands right now. So if they can go and offer £30 million for a player of a similar quality whose buyout initially was €40 million, actually, are they going to be able to save some sort of money? But also knowing and confident enough that what they have in reserve, they will be happy with. I mean, it didn't really go to plan last season at centre-back. What they had already in the building was enough to to get them through. So they probably do need to look at bringing in a, a central midfield player, but actually how desperate they are for it, I suppose we'll, only time will tell. Yeah, I mean, James, where, where would your priorities be? I, I, I didn't ask you that, but, you know, if you were sort of in Jürgen Klopp's shoes, which I guess this is what this this podcast is is saying we're doing, where would you be looking to strengthen? Um, so in terms of what we haven't touched upon yet, I think right back should probably be worthy of a mention. It, it's hard to call it the top priority because obviously Trent is basically nailed on. He'll always be first name on the team sheet pretty much when he's available. But I mean, we've seen the risks with England with that four-week layoff. If that happened in the course of the season, I mean, a, a few weeks ago, we'd have been saying that would mean Nico Williams was stepping up. Now it looks like he might be on his way out as well, in which case... You're looking at a reshuffle of fairly major proportions to even have a right back to field. You'd probably have to move Fabinho over there. He's barely played there at all since Monaco. Either that or you're putting in a 35-year-old James Milner and saying, OK, you're the first choice right back now, which again clearly isn't ideal. So yeah, particularly if Nico Williams has moved on, I would say some kind of promising young right back who's happy to fulfil a backup role would be quite high up the list of priorities not the most exciting of signings but I think it would be important if if Nico Williams were to move on uh, but yeah beyond that I think flexible cover for the front line is is right up there um, particularly as we've touched upon with the AFCON losing Sadar Amane even for just three four games it's going to be a big challenge it would be interesting to see you know someone like a Harvey Elliott step up but you know he's, he's what 17-18 you can't exactly say here we are at a pivotal point of the season we want you to replace Salah, like for like. I mean, sure, give him some minutes, you know, even give him starts, but you have to have other options who can step up. It's it's not fair on him as much as anything else, even if he is potentially capable of doing that for a short amount of time. We saw Liverpool's season essentially collapse around that point of the season last year. It's going to be obviously a much bigger risk without Salah and Mane. So, yeah, we need some sort of proven quality to cover that in the attack and, of course, provide more cover and bench options throughout the season. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, we'll move on to, to another thing on Jürgen's list for the summer, Kai, and that's, and that's the logistics of it. Um, it's a late return for Liverpool. They'll come back a week later. That's been agreed by the manager and his coaching staff. We're yet to know whether or where Liverpool will be going on a pre-season camp and tour, and um, that's usually something which is... is you know, in a normal world, organised a year in advance, really, in terms of, of the lucrative side. But just in terms of, of Liverpool within the pandemic realms, they're not even announcing 
you know, if if they'll be going to Austria the same as last year, somewhere in France, or maybe even somewhere on these shores, you would imagine that's causing the manager a bit of concern if it's not been sorted. And then, yeah, talk this week of potential Anfield friendlies against Premier League opposition. I think Newcastle and Villa were both touted. Um, so, not an ideal pre-season, again, for the manager, and it's something that he really prides himself on. Yeah, it's, it's it's far from ideal. And the options there, you were saying playing domestic teams and certainly a couple of games of Anfield, uh, maybe against other Premier League teams. I don't, I don't really see what other option they've got. Um, it, it's, it's a strange one because when you think not too long ago, uh, you go back a couple of months, then all the Champions League and Europa League games were, were underway and teams were travelling all over Europe and playing. And by all accounts, everything kind of with the the epidemic and whatever's been happening was was in a worse situation then as it seems to be now. Um, so not sure why teams were allowed to travel at that time and, and things maybe aren't um, quite the same in pre-season. But yeah, the, the hands are tied in that respect. And um, I think it's it's a case of do what you can and whether you know, Klopp can still have, have his warm weather camp, I think it might, it might be something that they can look at and they can go and not necessarily have the games, but you know, Klopp's a big fan of, of those trips to, to Evian and, and Switzerland and things and likes to get his team away and work with the players. So I'm sure he'll still be hoping that he can do that. Uh, whether he can get any games in or not remains to be seen. But yeah, I think um, in terms from, from a club point of view, they're certainly going to want to have at least one game at Anfield. You suspect maybe a couple, um, you know, full, full, capacity behind closed doors or of, of, sorry won't be behind closed doors um to use those as test events and get prepared for that first home game this season against Burnley but um yeah far from ideal but I think uh it's, it's kind of all they can do really facilities are massive guy aren't they when we talk about this I mean you know Jürgen Klopp in the past is has has raved and raged about places like Palo Alto in California and then I remember Liverpool went to Hong Kong, I think, from 2017, and I think they were caught in a monsoon, and it was it just seemed to be a bit of a disaster. Adam Lallana gets injured. I think Dayan Lovren does, and, and yeah, it's 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 so important in that sense because you know we can think of it as they're just going to train and and they'll have the best facilities anyway. But when you're taking, you know, things which impact the, the most minute of details from diet to sleep to to conditions, to temperatures, to everything. You know, Liverpool, that this is why Liverpool want things the way they want them and why they plan them in advance. It's the whole point of marginal gains, isn't it? You do things in a slight way to get yourself a little gain here and there. And that's partially what Liverpool, their system on and off the pitch is all tweaked and designed around. I mean, for me, you can't underestimate the importance of a pre-season of getting everyone together and getting the, the plan put together. I mean, especially when you bring in a player maybe who could be as important as Ibrahim Akanate, who's going to sit at the heart of your defence and getting him to really learn the system. And we know how much and how long it has taken defensive players to sort of learn the, the Jurgen Klopp system. So a proper pre-season with proper facilities is is integral to what Liverpool want to achieve for next season. I mean, even, even only look back, what, four or five years when Antonio Conte finished with Italy after the Euros, went into Chelsea and supposedly working behind the scenes on his three-at-the-back formation for two or three months all through pre-season 
eventually it was ready sort of by mid-October, put it into place and they, they go and storm the league and, and win it and are probably one of the, the Premier League's great forgotten champions as the dominance we've since seen from Man City and Liverpool. I don't think you can sort of overestimate it in Kai mentioning Evian. That's a, a favourite spot of Jurgen Klopp's. Whether they can get out there or not, we're we're unsure of right now. But if they can, I'm sure he'll be uh, he'll be doing all he can behind the scenes to push for that. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, James, isn't it? And, and I think the other point as well is, you know, when we talk about sort of getting prepared tactically, I think that's where the manager will be relaxed a little bit about players that he has at his disposal because he needs players uh, fundamentally he needs he needs bodies on the training pitch while he waits for others to come back so to implement what he needs you know he'll he'll have to have bodies around and you know people people want players seemingly out the club quite quickly at the moment uh, in terms of supporters you know wanting players sold and stuff but I mean we'll come to that in a second but just in terms of the manager finding that sweet spot I mean he's he's going into his his fifth season now, sixth with Liverpool, and and that you know we know the drill kind of thing. We know we know James Milner's going to come back and smash the lactose tests. We know that you know we'll probably have Marco Gruich for a couple of months, and then he'll he'll go somewhere else. We know we know all of this works. It's just about getting the right place, the right facilities, the right logistics in place around Liverpool to to ensure they can prepare as best they can. Yeah, definitely, it's all part of that same issue of just making the best of the situation whether that's to do with where they can train whether it's who's available because of you know the Copa America and the Euros it's just yeah I mean Klopp's not one to sweat things that are out of his control so he'll accept the situation as it is and we'll just yeah make the best of it and and that is where a sort of lack of massive squad turnover does come in handy we've got a lot of players who've been at the club for a long time who know Klopp's system at the back of their hand so that that issue of introducing a whole new idea isn't necessarily going to be one that comes into play, except for, like Guy mentions, people like Canate who are new to the club. So that kind of limited amount of turnover could actually work in Liverpool's favour in the early weeks of the season. Even if further down the line, you're still looking at strengthening in certain spots, there's that case of, OK, well, we, we want to hit the ground running. So at least we have this core of players to rely upon who know what the manager wants know how to execute the system. So, yeah, it's one of them where, again, maybe further down the line, Klopp's looking at changes, you know, know, Conte-esque introduction later on in the year. It's not off the the cards. Uh, People have always been talking about the 4-2-3-1 pretty much since Klopp came through the door, and it's maybe one we could see, you know, further down the line. But, yeah, start of the season, stick to what he knows with the players who he knows he trusts. And, yeah, it's, it's the best that he can hope for, really. So I'll come back to you, James, because the next thing on the list is trimming the squad and you know getting rid of the players who who are touted to leave the club this summer. Um, you know the, the squad does need uh, a fair bit of of cleaning up. I'd say a fair bit of tidying uh, in terms of certain players who just need to be off the books full time. Now we all know who they are. We don't have to to reference them too much. But you know Liverpool. We'll also have a responsibility around wages and keeping wages at a minimum. Uh, I think the turnover to wages in the last report was around 67%. Now, that is about as as far as you want to be um, veering towards the 100 mark. And, you know, Liverpool have, have signed Ibrahim Canate. They're going to introduce a couple of contract extensions, you'd think at least a couple 
this summer so that might incur further wages. And then, you know, there's there's the notion that the the money's raised will will add to the transfer kitty too. So, you know, apart from the obvious names we've seen this week, obviously, that Nico Williams is is being touted as a player who will leave Liverpool and that Phillips. They could both bring in excess of, you know, thirty million if if Michael Edwards works his magic. I think that coupled with the fact that, you know, these are players who, by all accounts, want to play regularly, want regular football. I think if Liverpool can make those situations happen, then I don't think anyone will be sort of standing in the way of anyone when it comes to that. Yeah, it's it's definitely a consideration that will be on the minds of the club. Um the the wage situation, like you say, it's it's already at a point where you're maybe looking at it a little bit uncomfortable, thinking that that's quite a percentage of the revenue being taken up just on contracts, um, especially when you look at the fact that there's no real sort of top dollar earners on the books. It's just a case of throughout the whole squad, everyone is, you know, earning slightly, is earning quite good money. I think it's it's a case also of the club being somewhat a victim of their own success in the sense that there was all the reports post-Champions League that a lot of clauses came into effect at that point. You know, sort of um, success-based bonuses were paid out um, and potentially wage hikes as well. Um, and so, yeah, that's just meant that everyone is on, you know, decent money compared to like just one one big earner so someone who comes in and breaks the wage structure. It's not that simple. It's the fact that throughout the squad, there are wages that are reasonably high, which which makes it harder to fix the problem if you do see it as a problem because it's not just like, okay, we'll we'll get rid of this star and then we're fine, we can reset. It's more a case of, it's it's part of the wider rebuild, really. You, you, there's a whole kind of squad trimming operation that will have to go on. And yeah, so that that is why if sensible bids come in for these players, even if Klopp believes they could still play some kind of role, the, the inclination is going to be, let's let them go. It's good for all parties. They'll get more game time. Liverpool's wages will come down, and and ultimately the first eleven won't be affected. So that's definitely going to be entering the thinking for sure. Are you surprised by by Williams or Phillips, Kai? I mean, I think I'm slightly I'm slightly more surprised by by Nico. To be honest, I I think that you know he starts the the Community Shield last season um, after a, a few games when Project Restart occurs, and then. He has a run of games in, in the Liverpool side of, of three or four around December. And yeah, it just feels like, you know, there was there was quite a bit of hope for him towards the back end of last season, uh, in terms of what he could potentially do as a as an understudy to Trent. But you know, you get to see again that this is no real bad thing if you think about it. You know, this is Liverpool's sort of academy model working as it should, that players come in, they benefit the squad, um, they're there to do a job, they they get minutes under the belt and then you know they, they sort of are reproduced elsewhere and Liverpool reaping uh, some revenue off the back of them and, and that's where you know if we want to be callous about things like academy models, that that's how they're made up in modern day. So you know I'd imagine like James says, internally it's thought of as a good solution for everyone. Yeah, on on paper it's it's exactly how the Academy should work they either come through like trent and become a regular first teamer and hopefully will be around in the team for 10 or 15 years or they come through and they're not quite at that liverpool level but you can sell them and make a profit and put it back into the team or the academy so on paper it's it's working exactly as it should but 
I agree with you. Williams for me was the one that um, kind of took me by surprise a little bit. I was expecting possibly a loan you would understand um, from his situation. You think it would probably be quite frustrating last season not getting um, you know, the amount of game time that he would want. Um, so you can understand maybe a loan in the lower lower end of the Premier League or something getting 30-35 games next season. But um, I think from Liverpool's point of view you can see both sides uh in terms of you know keeping him around as a, a backup to Trent you know you, you only need to look at what happened with Lovren when Klopp and the club kind of granted the player his wish and let him move in in his seek of game time but then a couple of injuries and you know Lovren would have got 35 games for Liverpool last season if he was around and would have been a massive help to the club and um and, and our cause so you kind of have to think of it maybe a little bit selfishly from the club's point of view and ideally you'd keep Williams around and yeah all right you might you may only play five or ten games but that's what we need from you to avoid another situation like a centre-back last year but then on on the flip side of it he's, he's, he's not going to play huge amounts barring you know a big injury to, to Trent or something um, that would be his only real kind of way into the team and, and regular minutes and he's not young you know he's, he's getting at that age where he does want to be looking for minutes and if he's got options some of the teams mentioned Southampton Leeds if he could go to that kind of level and be first choice right back I think you can understand from him uh, why he'd, he'd want to make that move and, and the same with Phillips as well Bernie yeah. Brighton we, we had an exclusive uh, with him on our YouTube channel a couple of weeks <coughs> ago and he said that he uh, is yet to have that conversation he'd like to stay at Liverpool but realistically where's he going to be fifth choice possibly even sixth choice with Canate coming in so I think um, certainly for Phillips and, and his point of view he's probably at his peak now in terms of his worth um, and demand for teams looking at him off the back of a really consistent season and I think for him a, a move probably does make sense this summer The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo I think they won't want to leave themselves with too much to do, Guy, is what I'd say. I mean, if you look at someone like, I don't know, Arsenal, for example, you know, there's there's just holes to patch up everywhere around the first team. And, you know, you're probably not even touching those players on the periphery um, unless the, the situation just sorts itself out. So, you know, that's where I think Liverpool, to, to many people's disappointment, won't be doing things with the likes of Naby Keita, Um you know, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has even maybe put Takumi Minamino and Ben Davis in there. You know, I'd, I'd say they'll, they'll want to at least have a look at them. You, the point being, you can you can easily reel off up to 10 names of players Liverpool maybe have to get rid of this summer um, before they even start talking about those guys. Yeah, there's Tywo Awani. We, we all forget about him as well, don't we? He's got a, a UK work permit now. Might be able to bring in some money to the club. I think the thing with Williams as well, though, is... I think maybe he might be at the sort of situation where his sell-on's sort of highest. I mean, go back to a player like, say, Martin Kelly, for example, went with England to Euro 2012, stayed around the club. I think he played nine league games over the next two seasons. In the end, Liverpool sold him for, for £2 million to Crystal Palace. I mean, if £10 million is going to be there and there's four Premier League clubs sniffing around and it is achievable to, to get that money in, I, I, I think it's maybe something smart for, for Liverpool to do. I'm, I'm then not sure, actually, that they would go looking for a right-back. You mentioned Arsenal before and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain played a, a wing-back for Arsenal for sort of the last six months of his Arsenal career and could 
I'm sure, fill in at right back for Liverpool from time to time. James Milner's there, Canate's played at right back, so too is Joe Gomez. And here we're talking about the worst case scenario if if Trent would pick up a long, long-term injury. So I think Liverpool would be all right there. And as you say, they'd be making the money from the academy there, which reinvests money into helping generate sort of the next crop of young players to come through. And they've got high hopes for Connor Bradley as well, albeit only 17, but still. Trent makes his breakthrough into the, the sort of first team at 18, 19 years old as well. There's no saying that Connor Bradley couldn't have a bit of a, a rise like Nico Williams did because 18 months ago, two years ago, I don't think many of us were sat here thinking Nico Williams is going to be a first team squad member straight after Liverpool winning the Premier League. And he was able to to get into that position and do it. I think there is an awful lot of players who could potentially move on equally. I think Liverpool will be quite happy to to keep some of them because even if you look at what's been brought in since the, the title win. Last year, in many ways, was just a year of getting through it. And in the end, Liverpool obviously got Champions League football as well. But from that team that won the league, the strike force has been strengthened with Diogo Jota coming in, Thiago's coming to the midfield, and now Ibrahima Kanate's coming to the defence as well. And obviously, ahead of next season, you've got so many key players coming back from injury that the squad should still be in a very strong position. Yeah, James, I mean, you, you talked about uh, Liverpool's attack earlier on in the show and, and I've put that on the agenda and I think it's worth it's worth talking about. Um, you know, I, I don't think in, in many senses we're, we're talking about it enough. I think that you can make arguments that, you know, with a fully fit uh, back four and, and defensive options in general, Liverpool are, are pretty stable. I think that... You know, we can talk about whether or not they will replace Wijnaldum in some form in midfield, but I, I don't think the forward line's getting spoken about enough. You know, there's there's four forwards there if we're discounting the likes of Elliot and Origi, Jed and Shakiri. Um and we're looking at those now as, you know, Firmino, Salah, Mane and Diogo Jota. And there are a lot of questions there. There are a lot of questions in terms of style. There are a lot of ter- uh, questions in terms of uh, alternative options. There are a lot of questions in terms of who will play out of the three of them, if not all four of them, at any one time next season. I'm, it's the one I'm, I'm not worried about. I'd say I'm most intrigued about. I think Liverpool need another option in attack. Uh, and I think they need somebody who can offer a, a degree of variance, um, something different to what those, those four can uh, in terms of their own individual skill set. But, I mean, in general, do you think we're we're talking about it enough, and if Liverpool were were to go into the season without adding another attacker, would would you be okay with that? Uh, no, I don't think we are talking about it enough. To be fair, because what you have to bear in mind is sort of in this iteration of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, the forwards are the goals. I mean, they don't really come from yeah. anywhere else. Um, and so when you're looking at last season, where where Mane, you know, it was still contributing, but it was having having a rough time in terms of form for a few patches in there. Firmino finished quite strongly, which was perhaps underappreciated at the time. But, you know, throughout the course of the season, nine league goals, you'd want a few more. Um, so, yeah, the, the the lack of options beyond those sort of core three or, or now four forwards, it, it's a real issue because there's just nothing you can do when they're out of form. There's there's no one else to to chuck in because it would just, like, if you look at someone like a Shakiri, he's, he's almost too different stylistically. So even though he's an undoubted talent, we've seen it at the Euros, He's not someone who can just step in without Klopp ripping up his playbook altogether. So 
you're basically forced to play these forwards through really tough patches of form. And when that happens, the goals dry up. We saw it massively around January, February last season. And so, yeah, it's it's a big area which needs work in the squad. And that's not to say someone comes in to replace any of the four. But, yeah, something maybe a little bit different while equally fitting into Klopp's general style, just if nothing else, to to cover those dips in form where where you, ideally you'd be hooking someone on sort of 60 minutes and bringing somebody on who you can think, OK, they have the potential to make the difference. It was Jota towards the start of the season, but he was almost too good. And Klopp thought, OK, I'm going to have to play him. Uh, and so now we're back in a situation where you look at the bench and you don't really fancy anyone to come on and, and make that difference when someone like Amane or Firmino is struggling. So, yeah, I think that's a big area to work on. I think that's my worry, guys, that they've been they've almost performed in a superhuman sense at times, you know. And and we've seen last season that when someone like Sadio Mane, who arguably had his worst season at Liverpool last season, drops off, then you know, there is there is a an additional burden on someone like Mohamed Salah to pick that up or Diogo Jota, not even accounting for the likes of injuries then. Like I say, I just I, w- I would be happy if Liverpool had one more sort of guaranteed uh, forward in the ranks. And, you know, we mentioned Harvey Elliott before. The hope could be that that he is that player who can, over the course of a season, get 10 to 15 goals, perform in the manner in which they need them to and and to to be the option that's required. But that is putting a lot of pressure on a young boy who's, who's just come back off a championship loan. Yeah, definitely. But I think there's sort of hope v reality. And I, I, it's sort of... Interesting, you raise Harvey Elliott there because I think the the reality of the situation may well be that Jadon Shakiri maybe ends up staying around. Rigi Wilson, maybe these guys are the guys who end up getting suitors. I don't think all three in the end are going to end up getting moves. I'd be amazed if they do, given we've what seven eight weeks until the start of the season. But then you've effectively got a, a more experienced head in someone like Jordan Shakiri around who knows the system, knows what's expected. And don't forget, sort of in the autumn of last year, came in and played a really crucial role for a, a, a short while type thing. And he's there playing away whilst at the same time, Harvey Elliott is getting his minutes in on the training ground, learning from the likes of Salah, and then is able to step into the side. I think I think the, the most important position for Liverpool needing to strengthen now over the windows and maybe is sort of the position that's really getting spoken about is a left-footed player who can play both off the right and in that false nine, effectively a left-footed Diogo Jota. So you've got someone who's dynamic, who can sort of get goals, can link the play as well. But that is such a rare commodity. A left-footed player, one thing, but then somebody who can play in two positions and can put out output as well. It's going to be a really difficult ask for Liverpool to kind of find that kind of play. Maybe you'd look at someone like that Gerard Moreno at Villarreal, the numbers he's put up, but then when you see him, and as he's played for Spain in this Euros, you think, oh, actually, he's probably not quite that. It is such a small pool that Liverpool are fishing in for this next player. They might already have it at the club in Harvey Elliott, and it's just a case of being patient, biding the time and waiting for him to sort of flourish and get the opportunities to come to the fore. But it's going to be interesting because I think that they're not going to want to find themselves in two years' time in a similar position to what they've done with Genie Wijnaldum, of letting him walk out the door and then thinking, oh, actually, is there a Firmino-shaped hole in this side? Because now we need to fill it. For so long, we spoke about the two players in this Liverpool side who might be hardest to replace would be Wijnaldum for his versatility and his sort of... um, 
consistency as Kai was referencing at the beginning of the podcast about how key is for selection and Roberto Firmino in the way he can get the best out of those wide forwards around him. And yet, as I say, I think there's kind of still a a backup needed for Mohamed Salah. So if it can be a left-footed player who plays off the right but can play through the middle, I know I'm not asking a lot, but I think think that's where Liverpool need to be looking. I think... What James said before, Kai, really st- strikes with me is is Liverpool's goals are in the attack. And I think, you know, if we look at Gini van Alden in, in Holland, for example, you know, there's a reason why he can't score goals for Holland, but, you know, he didn't score goals for Liverpool. And the reason why is because he, he couldn't do both at Liverpool. I think the, the facilitating aspect of Liverpool's midfield means that to ask them to, to suddenly chip in with 10 goals a season to is really, really harsh um, and everything is built, as alluded to, 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 to that front three, front four, whoever's on the pitch. So I think the reason I put it in the, the agenda is because it, it is a massively important element of, of Liverpool being successful at any one time and they've always got it right. You know, They've always made the right move at the right time. You just wonder whether you know, there, is, there is one this summer where they, they think, OK, we can get this guy in and it's another... It's another Jota sort of Salah left wing signing, but you know, before we know it, he's he's having much more of an impact than people think. Yeah, I think I think there's a few factors to this one. One of them is going to be, you know, people have touched on whether Liverpool change to the four two three one possibly this season, but I don't see that happening on the basis that if you, if you're going to go with the front four, as in the front three plus Jota as the front four, maybe Firmino as the ten. Then you've you've got all your best four attackers on the pitch with kind of nothing else to come in, and then you're only one injury away from having to rely on someone like a Shakiri or an Elliot for the remainder of the season. And there's so many bodies and, and options for the midfield three. I, I think the four three three will be what we see certainly for the start of the season. And then I think the other thing for me is the other lads have touched on is is Harvey Elliott. And personally, I think they're gonna. Not not solely based the decision on on him, but I think they're going to take preseason and whatever they can do with with camps or you know wherever they can end up, taking a really good look at Harvey Elliott and giving him lots of minutes in preseason to decide whether he he's able to be almost the option when when Salah's not available or needs a rest. Um, if he's able to come in and play 20, 15, 20 games and and start maybe ten or fifteen the season, then. I think they might push on with the squad as it is, maybe let Origi, possibly a Minamino go. Um, but I, I don't see them selling, as Guy said, they're not going to sell Shakiri, Origi, <coughs> excuse me, Shakiri, Origi and Minamino, because then that's, you're looking at signing two attackers and I don't think Liverpool will do that. Um, I'd like to see Shakiri stay for me. Of, of those three I've just mentioned, he's the one that, You've seen it at the Euros, you know, he, when he, he does play and he's given that responsibility, uh, responsibility, he does have the quality and he can be a player that, if for me, if he had to come in for six, seven games, start a few in a row of, of the options we've got, I'd, I'd be most comfortable with him doing that and I think he could. Again, for me, it's similar to the Nico Williams situation where he's been around for what, three seasons now as a bit part player and for me, I think he, he's better than that. He could maybe drop down one level in terms of club and be a 30 game season man and, and you know playing playing uh, a big part for whatever team he moves to but um yeah as, as you touched on there another jota is the ideal it's whether a can you find that 
the the price what was Jota kind of 40 million you're looking at that that kind of fee again for someone to come in who has also got to be happy not to be starting every week um there's a lot of factors to find the ideal uh but for me I think a lot of it depends on how they judge Harvey Elliott and if he's ready to to be a uh, kind of you know guaranteed squad member and, and come in and play a significant amount of games this season. Dan, just just on that, on Harvey Elliott, I think it, it is fascinating this season to sort of see what role he ends up playing because he's, he is only 18 and we say, oh, he's, he's had one first full season in the Championship. Can he step up? Well, just look at Chelsea and they've had players, the likes of Abraham and, and certainly Mason Mount now who have stepped up after sort of spells in the Championship. Now, he's not going to end up playing 50 games for Liverpool next season like he did for, for Blackburn Rovers last season. So that is one sort of interesting facet of it all. And in terms of what I said before about replacing Wijnaldum and Firmino, so many times since Jurgen Klopp's been at the club and Michael Edwards is sporting director, Liverpool don't go out and do like-for-like replacement-type signing things because, as James referenced right at the start, people know what money they've got and will know that they're desperate and can hold them to a ransom. They've been planning away and will have been for years for these eventualities. And we might now know and find out that actually Liverpool have had these sort of so difficult to find replacement options in the squad already. Curtis Jones, I'm sure for the last year, has been a sponge learning off Jorginho Wijnaldum, completely changed his game from being an academy asset to being a functional central midfield player. And now Harvey Elliott may well learn from both Firmino and Salah. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Hybrid of those two coming through. And Liverpool might have all of their answers already within Kirby and ready to just unleash them. I agree with you. I'm really, I'm trying to temper it, but I'm, I'm really sort of excited about Harvey Elliott. I think, I think he looks ready. I think he looks, he's developed physically as well in, in the sense that you know you can see that he's built his core. Um, you can't, and, you can't sort of understate that as well. The physicality needed to play at the top level of the Premier League. I think that's why for Minamino it's maybe not quite worked because I don't think he's perhaps got the dynamism needed and the power to do it. But yeah, as you say, Elliott may well, may well get there. But you needed to play in the championship. That's the other thing. So you know, it's it's massive that he's been able to show that. Um, we have one more in terms of injuries, but God, we've talked about them enough in the past year. So we will leave it there. A huge thanks to Guy, to Kai, and to James. That's been this week's podcast. We do hope you've enjoyed it. Check out Blood Red. Check out Liverpool.com. Most importantly, have a nice week. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.